you're paddling into the wave, you just like jump up. Coach Evan calls it the Hail Mary. I'm like, <laughs> I'm gonna stick it. And I oftentimes don't. The press up, you like, you have your hands are right below your waist. You press up into like, an upward dog. You set your rails, either the right or left side of your board, into the direction that you wanna go. And ideally, you look down the line too. I have not combined all of these things very <laughs> successfully yet, but I'll take them home and practice. I honestly don't know how much longer it would have taken to figure out if I hadn't gone to this for only a few more years. Hello and welcome to Wilding 50. I am your host, Christine Forrester. In this podcast, I will be interviewing surfers from my local breaks and beyond following a surf session. Whether you are learning to surf like me, keen on new adventures, or in the mood for a good conversation, I hope you will find some inspiration with these surf tales. This is the second of a two-part episode recorded on La Mission Surf Trip with the Surf Continuum. When I was in the very beginning stages of learning to surf, I was completely clueless about surf etiquette and all of the rudimentary steps that precede actually standing on a surfboard. Then I found KootCast, hosted by the Surf Continuum, and everything started to make sense. Coaches Chris and Ev do a fantastic job of breaking down the fundamentals of learning to surf, and they teach you how to stay safe in the water. After following their podcast for a year, I jumped at the chance to join their Baja surf trip. It was spectacular. Seven days of four-hour morning surf sessions in uncrowded lineups, lots of follow-up feedback, video sessions, and a local's experience in Baja. In addition, we were only seven students, the coolest group of people with whom you would ever hope to share this kind of intense experience. In the following two episodes, I interview the other two women who were on the trip with me. Welcome, Malika. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So you are the National Organizer for Heal Food Alliance, which brings focused actions and stories to the federal government from farmers and food workers to make the food system more equitable and sustainable. So could you tell us a specific story that led to a policy change at the federal level? Heal Food Alliance stands for Health, Environment, Agriculture, and Labor, and it's a coalition of nonprofits across the country dedicated to more holistically making our food and farming systems more equitable and sustainable. We also have a pretty strong emphasis on BIPOCs, Black, Indigenous, and people of color-focused uh, perspectives um, when it comes to our food and farm systems, because there's been a big lack of that mm-hmm. um, uh, to date. So, for example, there has been a lot of discrimination in lending when it comes to giving loans to farmers. And we know there's been a lot of discrimination, but it's been a lot of stories, a lot of anecdotes. With uh, public funds and with the federal government, there were actually a couple lawsuits where both black farmers and in a separate lawsuit, indigenous farmers were able to prove that they had been discriminated against. That led to big payouts to those farmers or to many black and indigenous farmers. Sorry, is this too much? No, that's good. No, I I just wanted to ask. So, but that, I mean, this is a historic thing, right? I'm thinking back to like Jim Crow laws, people own the lands, right? And it was outright taken and stolen, right? Through kind of land redistribution. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. It's been a lot of different factors. Yeah. But this also happens obviously in contemporary times. In contemporary times too. You know, this is a country that has been founded with slavery and colonization and land theft, a deep history there. 
um, that has led to huge loss of mm-hmm. land from black farmers and indigenous people. But yes, it happens in contemporary times too. And so there's been proof of that in the public funds that go out. But also um, with commercial lending, uh, we know there's discrimination, but there has not been proof because public banks have never been required to collect the data of people who apply for loans. So we don't know how badly um, discrimination is happening, where it's happening. So this year, our coalition, along with other organizations, collected folks who had stories of Mm -hmm. discrimination. Um, And we actually brought those folks to talk to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, which is an agency that was set up to protect people from unfair lending practices. And it was just really great to have the farmers talking directly to the federal government and the people in charge who can, who can really do something about it. Um, the idea is those stories uh, will hopefully build the impetus to pass uh, a rule that would require commercial banks to start tracking those demographics and start giving us a picture of where discrimination is happening so that we can ultimately pass policies to, to stop it. Wow, that's wonderful. So you're actually really creating that bridge of direct communication between the farmer and the legislator, right? Where normally probably that would just get lost by so many different, I don't know. Intermediaries. Intermediaries, yes. Yeah, exactly. In March, coming up here, um, we're gathering a ton of farmers to come tell their stories about how the climate crisis has been impacting their livelihoods Mm -hmm. And we're going to bring them to the offices of members of Congress so they can hear directly from people. Yeah, that's great. I'm curious, what do you know about some of these regenerative farming practices? Because it seems that also one of the huge problems we have right now with the agriculture industry is that it is so guided by monocrop cultures, mm-hmm. which require loads and loads of pesticides, which, mm-hmm. you know, are, and that's not only harmful to the people that eat the the product, right? But mm-hmm. especially to the farmers that are spraying these things over and over again. Mm-hmm. And all of this is tied into, right, Monsanto being have this, you know, kind of grip, which I guess is now Bayer. But I'm curious mm-hmm. about, do you guys work at all with uh, trying to steer or help create more regenerative type farms? Or at least maybe it's the farmers, obviously, many understand, know that this is what you should do, right? But maybe yeah. it's the legislators that need to be aware of like, a different kind of farming practices. Right. That realm that yeah. So another problem with our food and farm systems is that there's been more and more corporate control and a corporate monopoly over our food and farm systems. And they are all about this very extractive way of farming with a lot of pesticides, a lot of damage to the environment and ecosystems. And unfortunately, we're seeing fewer and fewer farms and more and more big farms that are mm-hmm. owned by these corporations. There are um, a lot of great people doing sustainable or regenerative. There's a lot of different words out there Mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of different connotations to different people. Something that we really like to uplift is that a lot of BIPOC farmers and um, especially indigenous farmers have been and are still uh, working in right relationship Mm -hmm. with the land. And they might not be certified organic because that is also a very like invasive and sometimes expensive process and they might not have some of these like you know they might not say it's regenerative or Mm -hmm. whatever but um there's a lot to learn there in terms of like 
how we can create um, food systems that are in harmony with the ecosystems and are much more diversified. So part of why we're, we're all going to Washington in March is for people to share their stories also of what climate positive food or farm systems looks like. Yeah, that's great. A lot of it is probably like an unlearning. Things seem to have always been done, but in fact, mm-hmm. it's not true. It's a very recent kind of agricultural practice. But what mm-hmm. you're talking about is that like the First Nations peoples absolutely mm-hmm. lived in concert and in harmony mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the environment and did, right? And some of it was more nomadic and some of it was like kind of a cultivation, mm-hmm. careful cultivation, but always with like reverence for the land and and this idea of giving and receiving in turn, right? And I think that's kind of seems like what we've lost. It's very extractive. It's very profit driven. Mm. Yeah, it's part of a capitalistic system. Stealing of land is all buying into that system. And look where it's gotten us. We have a planet that is very likely going to be unlivable in future generations. We have huge uh, discrepancies in in wealth and land ownership, uh, especially when it comes to race. We have abundance of food but we waste a ton of food and people who are not being nourished by the food that they're getting so it's it's a very i mean broken system and implies that it worked in the beginning Mm. gosh there's so much to say i mean i just get so terrified (laughs) when they say we only have 20 harvests left but then like you look outside and it rain comes and dandelions grow and that's one of the most nutritious foods that Uh we have right you can just go outside and pick or some of the seeds that you plant from years before maybe it didn't work then but then they get the right kind of soil combo compost i don't know this is something you didn't even necessarily do and then all of a sudden you have a little plant come forth and there's definitely a lot of hope too there's a lot of hope (laughs) There's a lot that's going wrong, but I 100% believe that we can we can turn things around. Yeah. And it is really about listening to the folks who yeah. have been doing it right and are doing it right and to reject mostly what I think is the corporate greed that's at the root uh, a lot of this. Yeah. And members of Congress have to really listen to their constituents and put their constituents first over these corporate monopolies that are likely paying for their re-election. re-election. <laughs> and here we are again in the yeah. same trap. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so let's let's just shift gears a little bit yeah. because I was fascinated with your unique upbringing and I think that that also you you probably are attuned and sensitive to things because of that upbringing maybe. I'm making some guesses here, but yeah. could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um lucky to have two wild hippie parents. I mean, there were times in my life where I was like, definitely wished I was had a more normal upbringing. And my mom would say to me, well, you really want to be a muggle? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Harry Potter reference. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was telling you in the car yesterday that uh, my parents were living in Baja when my mom was pregnant with me and just in a trailer living a very unconventional life and then decided that, you know, maybe they should have their child in the States. So they moved to Tucson, Arizona, and we had kind of a plot of land in a um, kind of poorer area of town. But within our little our little half acre, we had a pool and um, all these tree houses and a beautiful vegetable garden and 
Um, we lived very in community with um, some other family members. So it wasn't quite a commune per mm-hmm. se, but it's called the Babysitter's Club. And so there were other families and we all took turns or our parents took turns, like kind of parenting us and taking mm-hmm. care of us so that it was just, you know, just an easier way to to raise people. You know, it mm-hmm. takes a village, right? It so does. Yeah. Uh, definitely felt like I had multiple, um, like, I guess, aunts or uncles, really, even though they weren't related and brothers and sisters. And it was just a very unstructured life, you know, playing and looking at the stars and I don't know we'd have friends come over sometimes their parents would be mortified they'd be like on the roof <laughs> you guys were just kind of allowed to explore and, and do just live yeah, yeah. I would be like I don't want to hear mommy unless someone's bleeding oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Lots of fun hippie things in Tucson, yeah. like the um, solar oven potlucks yeah. and eating cactus fruit from the Solaros. Wow. Like that. But yes, they were very, my mom was very attuned to nature and we did a lot of camping. And yeah, I think that that did lead to my career in, in helping protect. I would think that growing up like that might make you less... Um, protective of of your things right because in a way if you're out with all the kids right you're kind of sharing all of it and and even that idea of like oh this is my mom like you kind of know who your mom or dad is but you have all these aunties and uncles (laughs) yeah does it make you really feel more like I'm part of this group rather than I am this individual like Mm -hmm. and maybe that's another struggle I think with our current climate crisis right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that we you know we we live in such abundance and convenience Mm -hmm. and all of these things Mm -hmm. I'm so guilty of it I'm not trying to say like stand on any soapbox but I think we're aware of this but that it we at a certain point we have to not pay so much attention to our own needs right but it's Mm -hmm. more of like this collective of everybody like Mm -hmm. what do we all need Mm -hmm. so that we can survive because Mm -hmm. right there has Mm -hmm. been this idea that the earth is going to be fine but the human race probably won't (laughs) and we unfortunately will probably take a lot of species with us but um yeah, definitely. Yeah, more of a, a collective kind of perspective to life. Also, my my dad is from Thailand, and I think generally, I mean, it's a generalization, but like Asian cultures tend to be a little bit more like collective versus individualistic mm-hmm. or like communal. Yeah. Um, and always taught to like never serve yourself first or anything like that. You know? Right. So that, that might be part of it too. But yeah, yeah I do think it's kind of the mindset we're going to have to adopt and stop thinking of things as like this is my plot of land and my water and whatnot because that's just not going to be that's not going to be good for anyone right right (laughs) (laughs) so let's move on um a little bit again it was changing focus so you studied studio art in college with a Mm -hmm. focus on black and white film photography Mm -hmm. and we are currently on a surf trip in Baja organized by the surf continuum Uh so a big shout out to coach Chris and coach they're the best they are the best since this, the trip started, you've been carefully documenting our trip. I mean, we've all been submitting photos, but I really yeah. have seen that you've taken this little extra care with your photos from the beginning and capturing yeah. some of the finer details. And so I was just wondering what role art plays in your life these days. Hmm. Yeah, well, I remember being in school at a liberal arts school and being like, I should do political science that's the most practical. And then at one point I was like, I should do sociology. Maybe that's more practical. (laughs) (laughs) And at one point I was like talking to my friend and I was like, uh, like I really, really love art and I really want to keep doing art. I keep getting pulled that direction, but I don't think it's practical. And he was like, it's the most practical one of all of them. (laughs) I was like, you're right. Um, but I kind of knew, I was like, even if I 
don't do art for a career. I want this lens to go through life with a lens of seeing lines and shapes and colors in a beautiful way. And yeah, honestly, I think everyone should study studio art. Oh, <laughs> me too. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a wonderful way to say it because we all were born, I think, right? Artists, right? We have, mm-hmm. as human beings, that's one of the things is that we are we have that capacity to really appreciate all the beauty mm-hmm. around us, mm-hmm. but somehow it gets kind of stamped out of us or mm-hmm. stifled out mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. And some are lucky. It sounds like you with your upbringing, you said your mom did some art too, that you're, it was kind of like cultivated and very yeah. actively. So, yeah. um, but wonderful. Yeah. Because otherwise we miss, we miss so much, don't we? If we, we don't miss so much. Yeah. And I think it all ties into capitalism. Oriented towards money mm-hmm. and like success and progress. And yeah, art, I think is a lot of like sitting with the present moment mm-hmm. and being in the present moment and seeing the beauty that's there right in front of you that you have right there. Yeah. It doesn't cost anything. Right. <laughs> Let's go on to our trip. So on our first day, we had arrived without really knowing each other well beyond just a bus ride together, basically. Mm -hmm. And you instigated a polar plunge into the ocean. (laughs) And so that was one of my first favorite moments of the Uh trip because Uh I thought these are my kind of people. Uh And I especially you because I was Uh like, wow. Yeah, uh, it was cold, right? We yeah, got, I was, was very cold. shivering and yeah. it, honestly, I didn't want to get in the ocean in my yeah. bathing suit, but yeah. <laughs> once you said we're going, we're like, we all had to go. Yeah. yeah. I do do that all the time to my friends at home or especially if someone's like having a bad day. I'm like, you need to go in the ocean. I don't care that it's <laughs> so You're like, you can't do that and like come out in a bad mood. No, you can't. Yeah. You it's, feel amazing. You do. And you, and your body goes through this transformation of warmth too, right? Yeah. It's weird. Like you're freezing and then it like kind of warms up and it's kind of wild. It, it's almost yeah. like it acclimates for you and, it does. and it gives you this incredible like rush of energy and, yeah. and enthusiasm. Endorphins and, or yeah. serotonin or yeah. something. But yeah, there's a, like a huge spark of joy that yeah. comes <laughs> after the, after the pain. Yeah. <laughs> Within the pain is mostly just worrying about it before it even happens. Yeah. I would like to ask you about this surf trip, right? Which is all yeah. about learning to surf. Um, so yeah. what was your personal goal that you had set for yourself about improving your surfing? And, and what have you learned? I think building my confidence and awareness of just the basics so that I wouldn't be doing anything like super kooky, <laughs> <laughs> which is partially an ego thing, but partially like a safety thing. Like mm-hmm. I always felt like I was sometimes doing things that might be dangerous to other surfers in the water and whatnot. But I also didn't want to look stupid. So I've been like going to like a beginner break, you know, like where I feel like more comfortable in my level. But it actually, it's, it's kind of more dangerous because there's so many people there that don't know what they're doing. And people are always telling me that I should go to some of the less crowded breaks, but I just feel nervous because the surfers are much better. So there's just a, a moment to to learn some things to build my confidence, really invest in something that brings me a lot of joy, which I feel like more and more recently I've, I've mm. been um, getting better at. Yeah, it's been fun. I mean, just watching everybody's progress. Yeah. And um, I saw your progress so much today. Oh, thank you. It was great. Yeah, yeah just like you, you cut. Yeah, <laughs> that's been part of it, right? Yeah. That we all kind of have our own personal goals. But again, yeah. it's back to that kind of community thing that we're right. like really as a tight group, we're yeah. all watching and cheering each other on. It's yeah. really fun. For sure. So the coaches emphasize the importance of learning the fundamentals of mm-hmm. surfing as defined mm-hmm. by them because they really have their own 
way that I think is very helpful. That's yeah. part of the big thing that Surf Continuum does. And then they explore through KootCast is that they really break this down for us, like kind of a first principles process of how to surf. Um, and I'm just, if you could talk about one of those fundamentals, what you struggled with the most. Mm, yeah. So I think the biggest one that they have impressed upon me is the press up, Okay. which is when you're paddling into the wave. And then what most people assume just happens is you just like jump up on your feet. And that's yeah. what I do. And uh, Coach Evan calls it the Hail Mary. I'm like, <laughs> hope that I land it. Hope I stick it. And I oftentimes don't. Um, so press up, you like strain your arms, you have, your hands are kind of right below your, your waist actually, and you press up into kind of like an upward dog and you, you set your rail. So either the right or left side of your board into the direction that you want to go. And ideally you look down the line too. I have not combined all of these three very <laughs> successfully yet, but I'll take them right. home and practice. But yeah, it's pretty huge, and I honestly don't know how long to longer it would have taken to figure out. Probably a few more years. Yeah, yeah. So we saw you. I mean, I didn't see you from the front side of the waves, but from the back. But I saw you a couple times catch up, and you're definitely assuming the press up position, okay. and then you disappeared behind the wave. Yeah. But then we didn't see you, so then we all assume it goes. It went really well because right? we didn't see you at all. Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Somewhat well, so not so much. But yeah. and that's part of the progress. I mean, the you know the um, the learning because we've had seven. Days. This was our seventh days of yeah. like four hour sessions every yeah. morning. It's been pretty rigorous. Yeah. yeah. And I remember one day, was it yesterday or the day before you came out and you're like, I can't paddle. <laughs> I don't know. Or it's all this thing. And then you're like, do I even like this sport? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. It definitely reminded me like sports in like high school and college and like getting really down on myself when feeling like I wasn't performing well and it's a, like a, a dangerous spir spiral I think you have to like yeah. stay positive and like after I got out and we reviewed some photos and whatnot I was like oh okay it wasn't as bad as I thought it was it was like a total train wreck I actually had some really good progress yeah. and wins and stuff so today I went out in a much more positive way but I also think I was just so tired yeah and it's so hard to do it when you're like all your muscles are just not working the way they're you're yeah. used to. Well, it's, yeah. It's, like, that's what I was, my fear with the trip was that I've never surfed for four hours in a row yeah. before, and it's yeah. going to be every day for four hours. Yeah. So sometimes I think I would off mo most, my trend mostly personally was that I felt like I was pretty strong in the first half for me. Yeah. But then by a certain point, like things start to get really murky. And <laughs> like, yeah. what, 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 what's a press up again? Or yeah, all, yeah, you know, yeah. like there's all these different things that you're yeah. trying to work on and it all yeah. just gets a little jumbled. And, and so you have to, when you're leaving, you kind of like got to pick your spirits up again because mm -hmm. you don't want to leave the session feeling so down, right? Yeah. You need to turn around and, yeah. and do it all again the next day with a fresh yeah. start. We had the most special chiropractor named Art work on us. Uh -huh. And I had this full circle experience with him because I had had a body surfing accident when I was 20. That I And I think that's the reason why I never really or learned to surf as an adult because I know that the interest was always there. And I'm only coming back to surfing after 30 years after uh -huh. this accident. But it was really neat that I took the surf trip. And then all of a sudden, there's this chiropractor that I think was actually the first source of true healing. And it so it's almost like coming back to surfing, like saying yes to the opportunity yeah. came back because he worked on me for about 90 minutes. And I've never felt that kind of liberation. I, I feel like it was the first time that I haven't actually felt pain anywhere. It was just so freeing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, you came back 
having good thoughts about him too. So is there anything you want to say about art? Yeah. I mean, he says he's a trained chiropractor, but that's what he's trained in. But um, he does a lot more. It's a, right. a kind of like deep tissue massage mm-hmm. or rolfing or something in that vein. But he's also an artist of his own mm. body healing way. He's very masterful and... Yeah, I think we all hold a lot of, like, pain and trauma. Like, there's just no way you can go through this life without having things that just really hurt and can be tied to emotional things or whatnot. Um, But, yeah, it was a real treat to, like, liberate a lot of that and open up. And it's been great. I was the first, but everyone, every person afterwards has been like, that was spectacular. That was magical. It's hard to find someone as talented as him, but I encourage people to, like, really invest in, like, a good massage or whatever yeah. and, like, really care for yourself. He was really good, and I think, because it was a very painful process, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he really gets in there, and I think mm-hmm. that's part of the, he's going super deep on you. Mm-hmm. So there's moments, and if it's, and if you're talking about, like, that muscle tightness trauma that's kind of locked in deep in there, that mm-hmm. it is very painful. And mm-hmm. for me, the only way that I could really release that was to just let it like really start just like weeping and bawling. Mm. And it, in a way, it almost felt like giving birth. Like I made some of the sounds yeah. that I remember <laughs> when I birthed my girls. And, yeah. and it after that, it was less painful. It was like, then he could get in there, like uh-huh. massage and open uh-huh. it. So it was uh-huh. very liberating and eye-opening. I've just never quite experienced anything like that That's before. Amazing. Well, do you have a kooky story to share? Anything? A kooky story. I mean, we've been on this whole trip about how not to kook it. <laughs> We've been trying our darndest. I still, like, last last day of surfing, had a really nice ride in, felt like I was just on top of the world at the end, went up, and, like, I couldn't find, like, I knew not to put my board, like, on its tail standing up, but I was a little lazy and tired to go find, like, grass to put it on. So I leaned it against the car on, like, cobblestones, and it was like, skate! (laughs) Coach Chris made, like, you might want to go find some grass for that. Oh. Like, okay, that's kooky still. Like, respect the board in a way. Right. That, like, I just, I think if you don't understand how they're made, yeah. like, understanding how they're made was really helpful to be like, oh, they're pretty, quite fragile. Yeah. And, like, uh, we need to, like, respect them more. But that was kind of kooky. I don't know. I think I'd probably kook, kook it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but less so, less so. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Malika. I, I want to tell you, though, you have been such a beautiful spirit. I, for, on this trip of everybody, I really like starting with the polar, polar plunge, the documenting of the photos, and uh, you're just always cracking jokes and yeah. really lighthearted. But uh, now getting to know you, I also see there's so much depth to your soul uh, and your care. Uh, I, and that I, I makes a lot of sense, right? That you're doing really profound, important work. Uh-huh. But it also spreads out in these like smaller, just, you know, uh, playful interactions, which is yeah. really neat. It's yeah. hard to do both, I think. So, Aww, yeah. Thank you. I I feel very lucky. I feel like everyone on this trip is a beautiful soul, and yeah. like, there's just not one person that like, yeah, it's that we don't like. Like everyone's it's, wonderful. It's been an yeah, amazing group. I think the mo- yeah, the most amazing thing is to have such a strong community yeah. to like mm-hmm. go through this process with and to be out there in the waves with. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And for sure, you're a beautiful soul too. <laughs> you radiate wherever you go also. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing. And if you feel inclined to leave a kind review, I would greatly appreciate it. I hope you'll stay tuned for the next Surf Tale on the Wilding 50 podcast.